then here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. There is not enough coffee in the world to get me through this podcast, but we're going to do the best we can. Tuesday, October the 25th, about 9.15 a.m. Central Time. I am Rob Howe. This is the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. Got a lot to get to today. You guys have a lot of questions. Uh, They started rolling in last week and have continued to roll in. I'll try to get to everybody as best as I can. Uh, There are obviously some repeat questions, comments, things like that, because it's pretty obvious right now uh, what people want to talk about, and that's the Iowa football offense and the struggles it's having right now and it's just historically bad there's no really other way to put it and uh it's hard to watch it's embarrassing it's become a national punchline uh and i get you know why fans are pissed off because you know your favorite team has become a national punchline when it comes to offensive football and that is no fun and i get it and uh We will jump in right now with, uh, this is from October 20th, which was five days ago. Math is good today. Um, Do you think there will be a, uh, this is jferry84 at jferry84. Do you think there will be a point here soon where Brody Brecht has to pick a sport and stick with it? With him being a pitching, big pitching prospect, does it make sense to keep playing football for a program that doesn't use or develop it, develop legit wide receivers? Um, you know, I think that's a little bit overstated, Jay. I get the frustration again with wide receiver play this year. Uh, but uh, the last, I guess you would say, uh, tandem of wide receivers that have come through the program uh, Amir Smith-Morset uh, has stuck, and he's jumped around. I think he's with his third NFL team now, started with Minnesota, then the Bears, now with Kansas City. Brandon Smith has stuck on practice squads. So I don't think it's a complete and total disaster um, at the position, and I think there's still potential there for guys to improve and get better and, you know, 
be productive at this level. That said, um, I don't know what's in Brody's mind. I haven't talked to him since media day back in August. And he was at that point, very, very um, committed to two sports. He told me, you know, last year, his first year of just getting acclimated to time management and playing two sports, he felt much more comfortable now and was looking forward to this year. Um, He's come back and he's been part of the offense. I think he's been starting uh, for Iowa football. And I don't see an end soon, but he's got – if you go through this academic year, which would be 22-23, he would be two years in at that point, obviously. And that would mean – he still has another year that he has to play baseball before he can go back into the major league draft. So maybe at that point he decides to move on after three years of uh, the two sports. And I think he could probably do that. And then if at the end of year three, he's done enough in baseball that, because I don't think football is really hampering his baseball you worry about injuries obviously I mean if he he lands wrong on his shoulder or gets hit you know in the shoulder and hurts his arm some way or even you know pitching your base is so important if something were to happen to him you know knee injury wise or lower body injury it could hurt his pitching prospects but I don't think it's hurting his development as a pitcher maybe Rick Heller would disagree with me um, but I think he can go and play these two sports for three seasons. And then after that third year, if baseball decide, you know, major league baseball decides, Hey, we're going to make this guy a high pick and give him, you know, six figures, seven, not six figures, seven figures or above signing bonus. Then I think he's got a decision to make, but let's see what happens here. I think it's a little early for him. And I think it was only August and we're, you know, so three months ago, roughly, uh, asking him about uh, that he was still very much dedicated to two sports. So I think he's there. He may have a decision to make soon uh, or he may have a decision to make down the road, but I'm not sure it will be classified as soon. Jay, thanks for the question. Uh, this is also from October 20th. Um, this is from E at NBA underscore fan underscore 2014. Do you think the massive interest in Iowa Women's basketball season is due in part to fans being disappointed in how Iowa football has been doing so far. How far away is women's basketball from a season sellout? Yeah, season sellout is a lot to ask. I think there are around five or 6,000 season tickets right now, so you're talking about you know roughly a third of the way. Um, and it's, well, it's not quite a third. What's it hold over there? Um, I forget what Carver holds, but anyway. Uh, they're they're well under halfway there and it's just it's hard to sell that many season tickets um for there aren't many women's programs nationally that sell out season tickets so um it's gonna that would be a tough chore but it they should be very proud of getting five to six thousand as somebody I was the women's basketball beat writer back in the late nineties and they had pretty good crowds then. Uh, but this to me is the, at least in my 26 years or so around here, the, uh, the most engagement the program has had. And that makes sense. You've got a uh, face of the program in Caitlin Clark, who's a national commodity. 
with a Nike NIL. So makes a whole lot of sense. I'm not sure how much overlap there is in the women's basketball football fan base. Uh, obviously, they're the overall Hawk fanatics who, no matter what sport it is, uh, they're going to support it. Um, but I don't think people are thinking, ah, you know, this football season's been disappointing. Let's go grab women's basketball tickets. Um, I think it more has to do with those fans that are going to see women's basketball are really big women's basketball fans, particularly Iowa women's basketball fans. But as Iowa, um, if Iowa can live up to the lofty preseason expectations, I would expect those crowds to get even bigger as we go forward. Uh, AP Hawkeye at Andy Paul Rules, a frequent contributor as he is to the podcast from October 22nd. Now we're getting into game day. Um, October 2nd was Saturday, yeah. So these are game day questions. Uh, While I believe he absolutely had to go after his actions, is it fair to say that Iowa football has slipped after the departure of Chris Doyle as a strength and conditioning coach? I know this is one of the questions out there, kind of one of the narratives that, you know, you when you're in when you're mired in this kind of uh uh sludge of an offense and when when things are this bad, when they're this pronounced, you're looking for answers and I get it, whether it's Kirk or Brian or Spencer Petrus or the offensive line or the wide receiver or in this case strength and conditioning. Uh, we're all, you know, everybody's kind of grasping for answers here. The truth is it's probably a little bit of everything. How much, if at all, does Iowa miss Chris Doyle from a social standpoint? Not at all. Um, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, Raymond Braithwaite, Braithwaite worked for him for 15 years. I'm not sure how much different that is. And when I watch the Iowa defense and some of the defensive linemen that are younger and uh, Lucas Van Ness, for intra- for instance, uh, you know, a true freshman in, in uh, Aaron Graves, they seem to be f- doing fine in the strength and conditioning program. So I'm going to dismiss the Miss Doyle and the strength and conditioning narrative. Uh, certainly people could say, that that's a reason for concern, but I'm also going to dismiss that this offensive line is inexperienced. It was coming into the season. It's got seven games in now. Logan Jones has seven games as a starting center. Um, You know, Mason Richmond has started for two years at left tackle. Um, Who else is in there? The the guards are younger, but Nick DeYoung has been playing guard. He started at right tackle last year. Connor Colby started almost two seasons now as an offensive lineman. The youth and inexperience, yeah, you can use that to a degree, but that's more to me skill and development than strength and conditioning. If you look at Jennings Dunker, he looks like Hercules, but he's not physically playing using his abilities because of – whatever's happening development-wise on the offensive line. So I'm going to dismiss the Chris Doyle narrative, and I know people will say, ah, that's just how's a libtard and, you know, was at the, at the center of the racial storm back in 2020 as somebody who was uh, making a big deal out of nothing uh, in terms of racial bias. But uh, I will uh, firmly and confidently say Iowa football is better off without Chris Doyle 
in the building, um, whatever that's the case. And I don't think he's, he's being missed in strength and conditioning to the point where it's hurting Iowa to the degree of what's going on offensively. So I need a coffee set. All right. Anywho, it's a fair question, AP, Andy, and I know, um, and I know it's out there and maybe I'm totally off base on this, but I'm asked for my opinion on this podcast. And that's my opinion on the Chris Doyle situation. RF at zero underscore dice. These are also from game day. Um, considering the horrific stats this year and in years past combined with the racial bias lawsuit, could BF get a job at the college level after this year? Or do you think he needs to take a year off assuming he's not back here? Because how could he? Oh, he certainly could be back. Um, It's a matter of, um, I guess how Iowa finishes this season. And I wrote about this uh, at another site that I work for, and you can find it on my Twitter feed on Sunday night or Monday. Just, it was basically don't try to get a little cute with don't count out a Michael Myers comeback story for Kirk Ferentz because we've seen this before and this is not a very difficult schedule moving forward here for Iowa the combined record of the remaining five teams on the schedule is 17 and 20 granted this week's opponent Northwestern skews that a little bit because it's one and six and just god awful but Iowa will be favored in three of these games I think I think well it's obviously favored this week but I think it'll be favored against Wisconsin and Nebraska at home as well Maybe not Wisconsin, but probably Wisconsin. And then on top of that, you have trips to Purdue and Minnesota, where Iowa is probably a slight underdog, but also those are winnable games. Purdue has the best record of any of the teams remaining on Iowa's schedule, and it sits at five and three. So um, this is not a murderer's row. And I think just to get to your question, Zero Dice, that it's not out of the question that Iowa could win well enough that Kirk can say, listen, offense was dreadful this year, make some cosmetic changes and bring Brian back next year. I know people are looking at me cross or looking at or listening to this right now and, and wondering about my sanity. Uh, that's just the way I see it. And uh, that's sorry. I got distracted there for a second. I hate when I do that on the podcast because people think they lost their, connection um at least i do when i'm listening man another coffee set i told you there's not enough coffee in the world today it's dreary here in iowa city uh been raining and uh it's overcast and cooler today than it's been uh so that's the uh that's the weather report on uh tuesday october the 25th at 9 30 a.m um in terms of the the foundation of your question the base of your question rf um in terms of brian ferentz getting another job i think it's going to be difficult with the lawsuit unsettled um i don't think he's going anywhere uh is going to get another job with that lawsuit being out there that needs to be you know that the case needs to go to trial and worked out that way or settled or whatever if that's out there that's going to be one if not the main story, in addition to Brian's 
poor offense of performance. It's going to be the racial thing. I just, after we saw what happened with Doyle in Jacksonville, I don't think it'd be that extreme, but it would not be good from a PR standpoint from in the court of public opinion, wherever he goes and gets hired, even if it's a position coach, I think that's going to be a tough, uh, tough sell for wherever he goes. And I know there's thought out there that his friend, Bill O'Brien, who was with Penn State, then with the Houston Texans and is now the offensive coordinator at Alabama, will probably get a job, head coaching job after this season. And that Brian would be, you know, he reportedly tried to hire Brian as his offensive line coach in Houston uh, when he took that job and Brian decided to stay at Iowa. That's what was reported. I never talked to Brian or um bill obviously about that but that's the rumor that was out there so kirk has a lot of pull and a lot of connections in the business uh he got steven a job at central michigan and then with the miami dolphins um i'm not saying he got him the job but obviously the connections help um and maybe he did get him the job i don't know but um it was it's been a quick ascent for steven uh in the coaching ranks and i think Kirk would be able to help Brian find a landing spot, but with the racial bias lawsuit out there, I think that's going to be hard to do. So that's kind of a piece of this puzzle. Uh, Zero Dice RF again um, from game day. What candy do you buy for trick-or-treaters? The cheapest, whatever I can find on sale. Um, Because kids eat don't really care. I know there's, yeah, they get a little older and they're, they get a little bit more picky like the rest of us. But for the most part, if you throw some candy in the bag, uh, they're pretty happy with it. So, uh, and I don't get the, like the out and out cheap stuff, but uh, I may throw a dum dum in there or something every now and then, or some smarties, which I talked about on this podcast before are gross. Uh, Jesse Lucier. Again, these are from, I don't know if these are – I see you've got a one of two here, Jesse, but then I see some other – let me see what I've got here. Okay, I'll start with this one. So much is bad about the offense, but play calling is just stupid. There is no nice way to put it. Petrus has been quarterback for three years, and everyone knows he's not mobile, which is fine. Everyone has weaknesses. But as a play caller, how do you decide to go with a rollout pass on the first play of the game after all the struggles we've seen? I drove all the way to Columbus to watch grown men make millions call a play that any fan would disagree with. Inexcusable. I guess that's more of a statement than a question. And, uh, yeah, that was – I don't know. The play call was a little questionable. Um, I don't mind throwing on first down to get away from tendency a little bit. I'm not sure that was the best play call for Spencer's strengths, as you say. And then that one was on Spencer. I don't know how you don't see the defender there. Maybe I, and I was saying this to somebody uh, who it may have been Pat Hardy, who I was talking about. I don't, it's hard to say what Spencer Petras saw. You had his, unless you had a, uh, you know, like a camera. They could tell you what he was looking at and what he could see. He's not going to throw a pass to the other team intentionally. So he obviously didn't see that guy. So um, I don't know why and what obstructed his view, uh, but it's when you see something that obvious when you're watching the game, uh, you have to think he had to at least 
understand that there could be a defender there and he had to be careful with that throw. I don't know. Play calling has been obviously one of the uh, drawbacks or weaknesses of this team this year. Uh, Granted, it's challenging to call plays when you have an offensive line that's leaky and a quarterback that's inconsistent and wide receivers that can't consistently break away from coverage and, uh, you know, a inconsistent running game, all of those things are piling up together, but the play calling has been, has left something to be desired as well. So we have a couple more here. Um, no, I guess we have one more here from Jesse. Uh, on an optimistic note, with how crazy the Big Ten West has been, you think there's any shot Iowa can have a strong finish like 2016's team? If Iowa can just get a bit more offense, I think we can go 4-1, but improvement on offense is asking a lot. Yeah, I refer you to my column that I wrote on uh, on Sunday I published Sunday night, I think, Jesse, uh, on my on the other website that I work for that you can find on my Twitter feed. And yeah, I mean, these are winnable games. These Iowa has played its toughest toughest team so far. I think you can make an argument that Illinois is the toughest team in the in the Big Ten West, and Iowa's already played them. And then Ohio State and Michigan are the class of the conference, and Iowa's already played them. And that's three of your four losses. Um, you know, so. The other one coming to Iowa State in a game that was just ugly, like most of the games have been this year. But, um, you know, the Iowa's Iowa's three conference losses are probably uh, as justifiable, I guess you could say, as any team in the league uh, because it's lost to three of the better teams in the conference. I would say I'd probably put Penn State ahead ahead of Illinois if I was doing Big Ten power rankings. Uh, But I think Illinois is in the top four or five, so that means Iowa's lost to you know, three of the top four or five teams in the league. That does not mean that Iowa's going to, you know, turn that around and say, okay, we're playing softer competition in these last five games, and that's going to equal victory. As you said, Jesse, unless the offense improves, it's going to be difficult because these teams also aren't, you know, crap, uh, with the exception of maybe Northwestern. And Northwestern was tied at Maryland, who I think is six and two or five and two coffee sip. But the Wildcats, uh, I think it's Brendan Sullivan or Brandon Sullivan. I get it mixed up, but the new quarterback that they've inserted and they, uh, they benched, was it Helinski, the kid from South Carolina that they had playing quarterback, but this Sullivan guy's a dual threat and he's interesting. And he had some success at Maryland running the football, um, so he's going to give Iowa a little bit of a different look this week. Uh, have, Iowa hasn't faced a lot of dual threat quarterbacks this season or even, you know, overly mobile quarterbacks. And that would include McCarthy and, and Stroud who prefer to throw. Um, I think there'll be some design runs for this guy. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I have confidence in Iowa's defense being able to uh, to counter that uh, and, and handle that. But it, it's something different. But anyway. Northwestern, I think it was like three. I was listening to it on my walk on on uh, the varsity app, but I think Northwestern tied the game with like two or three minutes left, and then they gave up a seventy-five yard touchdown run to Maryland, and the game was over. But um, 
this is not a good Northwestern defense. And we'll, I'll talk more about this with Scott Dockerman on the uh, hot pot, hot spot podcast Thursday, when we dive into this game a little bit more, but uh, Northwestern defense is not good. And if Iowa's offense is going to do anything and show any signs of life, this would seem to be a game uh, that would welcome that, but we have to see it to believe it. Thank you for the questions and comments, Jesse. 44M less at 44M less. Based on the interviews during the week and after each game, it seems that this team has a lot of high character guys that support one another, regardless of the incompetence of the offense. If the struggles continue, do you think the team will begin to fracture? Um, that, that's always a, a tough uh scenario to speculate about i i mean that you're talking about 110 to 20 guys in the locker room players and then coaches on top of that and other you know people that work for the program um but i know you're talking more specifically uh about the team itself fracturing it's a possibility um I don't know. I mean, we're hearing the right things on the outside, but losing creates frustration um, and human nature, uh, you know, dictates kind of there being some, you know, it's not, they're not throwing parties in the locker room. It's not a happy time. It's a difficult time. There's adversity uh, and that, creates kind of a stress level for everybody and you just don't know how people are going to handle that so there's always that possibility but again i think the next few weeks here you get a winnable northwestern game that gets you to four and four if you're able to take care of business (coughs) excuse me and then you have two teams that have been your nemesis really uh, Purdue and Wisconsin in the Big Ten West. Iowa has struggled against both of those programs uh, in recent years. So that, to me, is kind of the the testing ground for how this team is going to move forward, depending on how it does against the you know these next this next three week block, and then you finish up at Minnesota and Nebraska, and these are all Big Ten West rivalries. You know, three of the five or trophy games, right? No trophy for Northwestern or Purdue. Um, but the last three are the trophy games, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Nebraska. So there's still plenty uh, to play for, for this team. So I would be surprised if it's fractured yet, but it's kind of teetering on that possibility moving forward. Uh, again, just from human nature, I wouldn't, say that's a commentary on anybody, any particular player or group of players on this team, but it does have good leadership. The the guys that have been serving as captains, um, it's what Sam Laporta, Kevon Merriweather, um, Jack Campbell, and who's the, and Riley Moss. Those guys are all really good leaders and I think they can help, but four guys uh, out of 120, there's leaks sometimes in the boat. So certainly a concern and certainly something you don't want to see happen, but certainly a possibility as well. 44 M less. Again, this is from the 23rd, which was Sunday. You may disagree, but I believe the offensive line as a unit has been the most disappointing so far this year. I know 
They are young, but I feel they're had enough snaps to show improvement. What do you think happens with this group next year? Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. The offensive line is where this the issues start. And as I said earlier, in agreement with what you're saying here, 44 is, yeah, at this stage, seven games in, the inexperience in youth is no longer an excuse. Um, and again, you know, it's not like these are all true freshmen. These are guys that have had a year or two at least in the program. And some of them have been starters now for two years. Connor Colby and Nick DeYoung and Mason Richmond are all multi-year starters. So th- that's a little overblown. Um, the uh, the in- inexperience and, and youth, yeah, younger, youthful, but at this point, really no excuse. And w- And as you said, it's probably a combination of things. You look at the development of the guys you have, and then you have to project how good they're going to be. I think um, Iowa's coaching staff's poor read on what it had as an offensive line, because Kirk was uh, promoting this as a group that was going to be better than last year's offensive line throughout the offseason, and that was a, a very much – uh, a miscalculation and you're calling plays and coming up with offensive game schemes based on what you think you can do up front a lot of times. And I think that's been part of the problem. You're designing things, designing plays, designing, you know, a, a game plan based on what you think you can block. And it's just been a disaster in that regard. So they have to do a better job of evaluating that this off season. And I think you have to go in the transfer portal. I know it's, you know, it it's an uncomfortable place for Kirk Ferentz, but he needs to get over that. Teams around the country are supplementing their rosters and boosting their rosters by using the transfer portal. Michigan did it at center. Um Schools all over the – I mean, Purdue's t- taken a bunch of transfer portal guys. You don't have to go, you know, hog wild in the transfer portal. That's an old <laughs> term. But you have to at least understand where your weaknesses are, wide receiver, offensive line, and and better your roster through the transfer portal if you can't get many ready-made guys – as true freshmen or the guys you have in the roster aren't developing enough to the point where you're comfortable. So that's kind of how I would answer that. I think there needs to be some movement there. Um, Who knows where Iowa goes in the transfer portal, what it goes for uh, and how successful it is. Cause now you have the worst offense in the country. You're trying to convince kids to come to play for you, even though you stink. So you have to convince them that they can make you not stink. And that's not always the easiest thing on the doing on the recruiting trail. That's uh, some really in-depth uh, vocabulary there. All right, we move on. Jesse's back. Jesse Jesse Lucier is back with. I always see people joke around and say Iowa should just punt the ball on first down. What do you think the score is if Iowa just kneels three downs, then punt it every drive? Does OSU score half the points they did? Notre Dame gave up more yards versus OSU, but only 21 points. Yeah, Iowa's defense only gave up 133 yards in the first half and whatever it was, 24 points. Is that right? Was it 24-10 at halftime or 26-10? to 10? I can't remember. Um, I don't know. You may decrease the amount of points uh, 
by a little bit, but your defense is then really out there on the field a lot. Um, and having to defend one of the best, if not the best offenses in the country. So I don't think that strategy is very sound against Ohio State, just giving it back to Ohio State's offense after three plays every every down. So uh, I don't know. Maybe the defense could pick off a couple more passes and, and score themselves, but I don't think that's a winning strategy. Uh, DC Hawk at DC underscore Hawk six. This one's from October the 24th, as was uh, Jesse's question. That was yesterday. I always, oh, I'm sorry. DC's question. Doesn't Kirk end up just looking really stubborn now that he has finally played Padilla? Something fans and media have been calling for for weeks. John Miller said he thought it might be desperation, which is not a word I think I've ever associated with Kirk. I don't agree with the desperation. Um, I think it was forced. Uh, the the pick six at the end of the first half by Spencer was just – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, bad. It was bad, but not something you can explain away and say, you know, there was nuance to it. It was just a bad play, uh, a bad throw to cap off a really bad half. Um, and I think it would have been hard for Kirk to go into the locker room at halftime and look at his offensive coaches and the offensive guys uh, or the players on that side of the ball and say, we're sticking with Spencer. I just, I don't know how you, he could do that with a straight face and retain credibility. I think at that point you have to make a quarterback change and that's probably what, what went into it. But I think it came I, rather than desperation. I think it was um, again, a necessity forced um, no other choice. Uh, in that situation. I don't think he was throwing Padilla in there thinking that, you know, desperation to me was put Padilla in there because he's going to bring us back. What they've been telling us all season is Spencer's been better in practice. So if that is true, if you take them at their word, that means what they've seen in practice from Alex Padilla wouldn't lead them to believe that putting him in the game was going to lead them to victory. It was, we have to make a change because the guy that we have in there right now is killing us. Um, so, yeah, semantics maybe with the desperation word. Uh, I think it was kind of, there was no other choice but to change quarterbacks with how poorly Spencer had played up to that point in the game and the ineffectiveness of the offense with him at the helm throughout the season. So that's kind of... uh kind of my thought process there. Uh, It's probably a good time now to uh, hear from the people that pay the bills. Uh, Support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. Probably here in a throat and stuffed up nose and all that stuff. And I apologize. Hopefully uh, you're, you're understanding the words that are coming out of my mouth. Um, but I've been dealing with this cold for over a week and it's, uh, it's frustrating and it's hard to talk and I can feel it in my throat now. Uh, but you guys don't need to hear about that. You just want to hear about Hawkeye sports and uh, we will be back on the other side to talk more about them after we hear some from some more of our sponsors. We'll be back. 
Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit 5 Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. Hi, this is A.J. Perez, Managing Partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. And we are back. Thank you to our sponsors for their support of the podcast. Let's jump back in. Uh, RF at zero underscore dice is back. This one is from yesterday. How many laps do you think Tory Taylor had to run after choosing to run an unsanctioned fake punt? Uh, <laughs> do people still run laps? I think you're old like me, Zero. Um, I don't think, do they make guys run laps anymore? Uh, and girls run laps anymore? I think, uh, I think they have other punishments now. Some probably more evil. Uh, although the lap running and stair running and hill running that they used to make us do when we got in trouble, uh, and did the wrong thing. Athletically, uh, we're pretty, uh, mean as well. But, um, he probably got it. I know you're kind of tongue in cheek here. He probably got a talking to. I actually, the way it's set up and the way it looked, I thought it was an option play that was designed by, excuse me, LeVar Woods. Or if he got the right look, he could run with it because it almost looked like that. I couldn't see if he fumbled the ball a little bit and was having trouble getting the punt off. And that's what led him to run. Um, but I think what I thought when I first saw it was, is it was designed. If you get the look, if you see the opening, run for it. But that was not the case, according to Kirk, unless Lamar didn't tell Kirk that that was the play. But that would be a whole other issue, set of issues. So, um, yeah, I, I, it was ill-advised at the time. I'm not sure it had any outcome on the game. In fact, I would say it had no outcome on the game. But uh it was a little levity moment for me, at least, to to see some trickery uh, on Tory Taylor's part. And uh, he almost made it. I thought he had a chance. I think if he would have hit the hole harder, maybe he would have had a chance. Maybe he, maybe he overestimated his athleticism. But he's a big guy. If you've ever been around Tory, he is a big person. Uh, and he could break some tackles, no doubt in my mind, if he got in the open field. And he's also used to playing Australian rules football where they do get hit and tackled. So I think he'd be okay doing that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know how many laps, but I'm sure there was some type of punishment, maybe like a kangaroo court type thing. Hyperbolic Hawkeye at Iowa Hawk Guy G-U-I. Rob, what is the most just-get-over-it-with-Iowa-football-season you have ever covered? How about basketball? Football-wise, I'm going to say 2012. That was just a disaster. Um, this season is not there yet. 
it certainly has the potential to be depending on how things finish up here. Uh, if Iowa, Iowa were to go like one and four and finish four and eight, I would put it in the same basket box, what have you. Uh, but it's not there yet. And I don't think it's going to go one and four. Uh, I think two and three probably at worst. Uh, and I think if I was betting on it and, if you've seen any of my wagers that have gone that I've put out publicly on Twitter for the bet rivers contest or other uh, venues where I pick games <laughs> avenues, whatever that I pick games, I'm not doing very well. Having said that um, I would probably say three and two is where I think Iowa football will be and get to six and six um, and make a bowl game. But that's just, uh, just kind of how I see it. Right now, I may have a different opinion when I sit down here to record this thing next week, depending on what we see against Northwestern, uh, but certainly 2012. And then for basketball, probably look lighters last year. Um, that was bad. A uh, lot of uh, behind the scenes turmoil that we saw and heard about and, you know, transfers and just complete disconnect. And that it, Iowa football under Kirk Ferentz has never been as bad as what we saw the last year at Licklider, uh, with just how in disarray a program was. But uh, 2012 was certainly not good, and 2014 wasn't either. And I think that was more um, that block of time of 2011 or 2010 underachieving, 2011 kind of going downhill, 2012 coaching changes and bottom out. 2013, a little bit of a, a, a turnaround and got to the Outback Bowl. 2014, quarterback controversy, ass-kicking in the Tax Slayer Bowl to Tennessee. That was just a bad stretch there, but 2012 was kind of the bottom of it, I think. 2014 was heading back towards that bottom, but didn't quite get there, if I'm making any sense. But uh, hopefully that answers those questions. They're not fun. This sucks, to be honest with you. It's it's. Uh, it's um, it's a downer. It's depressing to cover teams when they're struggling, but you still have to go out and do your job, just like when the tight team you know is doing really well. Um, and it's fun. That's kind of you take that with this business, and wouldn't have anybody out there feeling sorry for anybody in the media having to cover a poor team. There are people a lot worse off uh, in covering athletics than we are here at Iowa. We've been very fortunate. Uh, through the years to have re usually respectable teams uh, in terms of wins and losses uh, and more often than not above that. So um, yeah, I feel fortunate to have done what I've done here uh, for this being the 26th year. Uh, Hyperbolic Hawkeye back again. Can Iowa season ticket holders file a class action lawsuit against Gary Borda, Kirk Ferns for coaching malpractice and violation of nepotism laws? Or would that be a tough battle since both Kirk and Gary have experienced fire, fire, fighting lawsuits? Again, this one's a little tongue-in-cheek, I think, a little snarky. Uh, I get it. Um, there's, uh, You're not going to have season ticket holders file a class action suit against Gary Barton and Kirk Ferentz. The nepotism thing is interesting because publicly this has happened more than once it happened and it happened uh, this past weekend when Gary Barton talked to uh, the writer columnist 
from Cleveland.com, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, I believe, uh, who wrote a pretty scathing piece on the nepotism that's happening at Iowa, the perceived nepotism, the charging of nepotism. Um, and I think Gary coming out and talking about Kirk evaluating Brian on multiple occasions is really dicey because the reason that Iowa football was able to work its way around nepotism laws is making it so Brian Ferentz reports directly to Gary Barta and he's the one who writes his evaluation. So if that's the case, why is Kirk doing it? And why is Gary saying that Kirk is the one? Because none of us here are stupid enough to think that Gary Bart is making a decision about Brian Ferentz. It's Kirk Ferentz. I don't care what they have on, on paper or whatever. And Gary has um, confirmed that with his comments throughout the years about Kirk being the one to evaluate Brian. So, yeah, I think there's something there. I just don't know what it is. I'm not very um, well-versed in law, I think fully admit that it's not something I'm comfortable with. So I don't know. And I don't know what via, you know, what, um, so what I'm looking for, what type of violation that would be and what the, what the penalty would be uh, for that. But um, it's interesting. It, it's something to keep an eye on. It's something I've, it's kind of piqued my curiosity of is what Gary's done and said publicly is that a violation of, of a law? I don't know if it is, but it's certainly something to look into. Uh, and Buford Grimes at Grimes to Buford, the nepotism plus laughable putrid offense is a national story. Former players are begging KF to change. Why not give the fans their pound of flesh signal to the players and recruits and program at large that the that Iowa football demands better and fire Brian Ferentz now. Why wait? Give us hope. Um, one, you guys have bought season tickets for the rest of the season, for this whole season. So there's no motivation there. You're bought in. Um, number two, it's the head coach's son. He's not going to humiliate him by firing him in the middle of the season. And Gary Barter does not have the power to fire Brian Ferentz or Kirk Ferentz. So that's another factor. And then lastly, personally, I understand the angle of fans having hope if Brian Ferentz is um, fired and it's satisfaction to a certain degree and probably takes the heat off of Kirk, at least temporarily. Uh, but I don't think it does a damn thing for the football team. Who's going to run the offense? It's not going to change anything. It's Iowa's not going to be better offensively without Brian Ferentz. Uh, you're going to have Bud Meyer do it. Um he was brought in here as kind of a quarterback offensive guru. And I haven't seen any real, you know, any of his, you know, positive fingerprints on the program. I don't know the guy. I've never talked to him. I don't think he's done an interview since he's been here. Um, he's making like a hundred K a year to help Brian learn what, it, you know, the coach quarterbacks and that's failed miserably. Um, so I don't know what you, you know, is Kirk Ferentz just going to call? Who's going to call the plays on offense? Uh, you've gotten rid of Ken O'Keefe. I guess it would be Bud Meyer with Kirk. Um, and we've talked at nauseam about 
Kirk being the root of the issue here because this is his offensive philosophy and his system. So we don't need to go down that road again. So the reason I say that is firing Brian is also an indictment of himself, both for the, for the hire and for his collaboration with his son in terms of building this offense. So I just don't see it. I think you guys are are wasting valuable brain cells and oxygen, hoping that Brian Ferentz gets fired during this season. It's just not going to happen. Uh, Rick Nitty Endis at Sydney Tinker on Twitter with former players publicly calling for change from Iowa's offense, NIL possibilities, stats bearing out that Phil's defenses can perform at high levels, even without the offense controlling time of possession and the Charlie Jones debacle change is still not coming. Is it? No, I just answered that in Buford's question. It's not coming this season. You're going to ride out what you have right now. And again, if you put it in the context of these five remaining games, it's not as dire as you might feel because Iowa has played its toughest team so far, at least what we've to what we've seen to this part of the season. That's not to say that what's, what's, what Wisconsin did last week to Purdue isn't a sign that the Badgers are riding the ship. Or conversely, that Purdue was overrated. We've seen Minnesota, after going in and handing it to Michigan State, a place where Wisconsin lost, Minnesota's hit the skids and it's just not been a good football team. Granted, it's missing its starting quarterback right now, but we don't know what Minnesota's going to be like second to last week of the season when Iowa goes up there. What's Nebraska's coming off a of bye week? Nebraska's offense is dangerous. Can it do anything defensively opposite, kind of in an opposite position of what Iowa is to get some momentum going into the end of the season? Is that last game of the year between two teams that are five and six? Um, a lot of unanswered questions. What, what, what's Iowa going to get when it plays Purdue, Wisconsin? Hard to say, but they're not – they being the coaching staff and he being Kirk Ferentz is not, he's said it repeatedly in the last two press conferences after games. He is not firing a coach during the season. He will not do that. So yeah, it's uh change is not coming this season. Uh, rec, 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 nitty, R E K N I T I E N D Y S rec, nitty, endis. I think that's how you say your name. If I've not pronounced it, rec, nitty, Recknity, correct me if you would. I was disappointed to hear Brian state he wasn't able to pinpoint what ails the offense during the bye week. I hoped it was not pu- wanting to publicly say which units are struggling, but after two weeks to improve, we remain stagnant. Which units need the most work? Yeah, we talked about this earlier in the podcast and throughout the season. It really starts up front with the offensive line. But I think quarterback play needs to be better. The wide receiver group needs to be better. Um, I don't really have a full gauge on the running backs. Uh, I think it's a talented group that runs the ball well. Uh, I don't think it's proficient. (coughs) The running back position, excuse me, is proficient in uh, pass pro. Uh, I see mistakes there. I saw one from one of the running backs, you know, not being quick enough to pick up a oncoming rusher. So that's in conjunction with a leaky offensive line. But to me, it starts up front with the offensive line. You have more time. It gives receivers more time to get open. And these receivers, 
need a little bit more time to get open. So it all kind of works together. And I do think that Brian probably avoid throwing people under the bus because that's not his way either. Uh, a Piragon at, at uh, underscore a Piragon on underscore on Twitter as Barta and Kay Ferentz's comments suggest they are actively flouting Iowa state nepotism laws with apparently no punishment or investigation from UI forthcoming. Do fans have any recourse? Have you heard any rumblings of a class action lawsuit by fans or season ticket holders? This is a repeat question in a way. I have not. And again, I will say my curiosity is peaked um, based on just not knowing if it's a violation. What Gary Barta has said publicly about Kirk Ferentz evaluating Brian when that should be his job with the setup they have to, um, you know, handle or work with nepotism laws around, uh, skirt, (laughs) circumvent, whatever word you want to use. Uh, Kirk is Brian's boss and we all know that, but, but Gary said it publicly a number of times now where he's supposed, when he is supposed to be Brian's boss. Um, so, and I asked, Gary about this back in 2020 during the racial bias press conferences to evaluate Brian's performance and his behavior. And Gary was very milk toast with his answers and basically backed Brian and not saying he shouldn't have at that time, but um, he's never publicly reprimanded Brian at all or questioned this offense uh, under Brian. And to me, um, that's kind of an indictment of Gary in and of itself to have the worst offense, have one of the worst offenses last year. And then the worst offense this year be asked about it and not say anything critical to me pretty much tells you the story of who's in charge here and what type of uh, power Gary has in this situation, which is little to none when it comes to the football program. Uh, Blake Dowson at BR Dowson on Twitter. If offensive skill guys are on the fence about transferring out of Iowa after this year to find more production in a different offense, a la Charlie Jones, what's the recruiting pitch to get them to stay? Things will be better. I think that's what you have. That's the recruiting pitch. You can be a big part of helping us turn this around. That's really the recruiting pitch. Uh, That with trying to convince whoever it is that it's close. It's not going to take a lot. Kind of the 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 uh the narrative we got this last off season from Brian and Kirk that it was close and it would be better this year. Um that kind of rhetoric, that's kind of what they'll they'll throw out there for uh recruiting guys outside the building but also to retain guys inside the building. Um, DC Hawk at DC underscore Hawk six. What do you make of Charlie Jones? The season Charlie Jones is having at Purdue. It's hard for me to see it as a huge indictment of Brian. Why did they struggle not to see it as a huge indictment? Why did they struggle so much to see his potential? I think there is some nuance here. uh, DC, uh, Purdue's, it's obvious, Purdue's offense and Iowa's offensive scheme and approach is completely different. And just by the nature of that, 
Charlie Jones is going to get more opportunities and produce offense. The fact that he went from with the if Iowa had a healthy complement of receivers this year, meaning Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce, and Nico Regani, Charlie Jones would have was fourth out of that group at best last season. So that's kind of what he was looking at. And an offense that has two touchdown passes this season, he would have been the fourth guy. I think it's just another example, and I would agree with you, an indictment of what Iowa is doing offensively, that a guy can go and have that much success at another Big Ten West program, one in which most people look at Purdue underneath Iowa. Uh, and, it and you know, history has shown us that the last, you know, quarter century, Purdue's had some really good teams during that time, but Iowa's been the more consistent and better program over that time. But um, Charlie Jones is able to go there to a team that understands how to attack offensively and succeed. And uh, that's what I make of his season. So... I think that's it, folks. Those are all of the folks that use the HF mail hashtag, and I got to get out of here so I can get over to the football facility and interview some players at 11 o'clock. It's about 10, 11 a.m. Central time, so need to chop up this podcast and get it up on the feed. So thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you, everybody, for the questions and comments. I really do appreciate it. The PSA time has come. Hashtag HF mail. You have any questions or comments between now and the next time, excuse me, I record a podcast, shoot them my way and I will go back and get them as I did today, all the way back to last week. So shoot them my way and we will hit them up on the next podcast. Thank you for the questions. Thank you to the sponsors. Thank you to everybody for listening. And we will talk to you a week from today. Peace.